0: Good morning, everyone. So this morning, we have a little two-part talk. So I'm doing the first half, and then uh, in a little while, Kevin will do the second half. And uh, we are talking about the elephant of technology. So as we were sitting with a bunch of small group leaders earlier uh, this last year, uh, we threw out different topics. Uh, We asked them to come up with as many elephants as they thought needed to be addressed, and then this community voted on it, and technology kept rising to the surface as an elephant that we should discuss. And I think the reason it surfaced is because uh, many of us recognize that there are effects that are going on in our lives because of technology. And, uh, and we know that technology is fundamentally rewiring our very brains and the way we think. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily convinced that our cognitive and emotional like understanding is caught up with the change. So even though we recognize we're changing, we don't necessarily understand how. So I want to try to illustrate that uh, for a moment. Um, Years ago, I think I told you an illustration of a good family friend of ours. He was a uh, director of a mission organization. He would travel kind of around the country and speak to faith communities and uh, was responsible for missionaries everywhere. And he was an incredible speaker, passionate, uh, just a deep man of faith. He was a good family friend of ours. Uh, His name was Wendell Kempton, and uh, I remember on this one particular occasion, I think my family told me this story, but he uh, got up to go to the pulpit, and back in the day, they did have wood pulpits, and in this particular church they did, and so he grabbed his Bible and he walked to the top, and uh, there's something about standing up above a group of people apparently that makes it better, and so he sat his Bible down and he started to say good morning and the Bible fell off the podium and he just froze for a moment. And you see him kind of like shocked by what happened and he bends down and he picks it up. and He places it on the podium and then you begin to see tears well up in his eyes. And he gets choked up, and he says, I, "I apologize. I I don't even know if I can keep going this morning, after I've just treated the Bible with such disrespect. I love this book, and I spend every day in it, and I believe what it says is truth, and I want to communicate that profoundly to you. And the way I just mishandled, I'm sorry. And then he." Prayed and then asked permission to carry on and then spoke. And it was one of those moments where you're like, wow, the amount of respect that he has for the Word of God, the amount of care that he has to communicate a message that's so important. But I wonder if instead, if he would have dropped it, it would have fallen, he would have picked it up, he would have gotten frustrated. He would have grabbed it, ripped it, and tossed it across the room and said, what am I doing? This is stupid. I wonder how many of us would in that moment go, I don't even care what he has to say in the next few moments. I'm probably going to disregard all of it because he was so cavalier with the scriptures that he didn't even care. It didn't even matter. I bring that up because I think it's really interesting how technology has maybe affected the way we think about things. I want you to flash back to a cool moment in time. Uh, I used to have, and maybe some of you do, and by a show of hands, I'd love to know how many, uh, used to have a Bible on CD-ROM. How many of you? Yeah, the old Bible on CD-ROM, yeah? Okay. Okay. So, um, there, there was this, for those of you not really familiar with this, there was this cool uh, little CD-ROM. You'd slide it in, push the button, it would go in, and then, like, you could search your Bible. You could, like, type in words, and all these verses would come up, and you could, like, print out part in a PDF. And, I mean, it was amazing technology. Incredible, Right. And then along came the advent of the internet in more substantial ways where you could just like Google it and the verse would pop up in like 0.1 seconds. Or you could just print straight from the internet and then the CD-ROM became obsolete, became insignificant. So I have a confession to make. At one point, I too had a CD-ROM and then it became worthless for me to have it and to use it. And so at one point... I threw it in the trash. Now, I know that doesn't seem like a big confession. I know some of you probably didn't throw it in the trash. You gave it to a thrift store (laughs) so that they could throw it in the trash. You're just at least one step removed, right? But then the other day, I noticed that I, uh, I got an update on my phone. It was telling me that it was time to download the software for the new update. And uh, I tried to do it, and then it said you didn't have enough storage space. So I was like, okay, I'll delete some apps I haven't used. And then it still was like, you don't have enough storage space. Apparently, it needs, like, all of my storage space in my entire phone to update. So, like, I just kept deleting. I'm like, this will get, finally, I'm going to get there. And then, finally, the last app. You know which one I'm talking about. (laughs) The Bible app. And there it is. And I had it on my phone, and then I held down on my screen, and a little X came up, and I was like, oh, Lord, okay, and I hit X, and I deleted the Bible. And some of you are going, okay, not a big deal, Russ, right? But here's what I'm trying to point out or illustrate, that we have allowed ourselves to understand technology in new ways, this It's actually my Bible, and it is, that wasn't, by the way, Um, just in case some of you have already tuned out everything I'm about to say, Um, but this is a giant, crazy piece of technology. You realize, right? That eventually we got the scriptures in a form that enabled us to read it and to carry it and to reference it in ways like never before, and so this was a giant technological leap forward in the ways in which we cradle the stories that give our faith meaning. So when we talk about technology, I use that as way of illustration, we can't just talk about the tech. You got to talk about the purposes behind it. You have to talk about, in many ways, we've tried to make this whole series, we have to talk about the elephant behind the elephant. Because unless you get at the core motivations and the ways in which we use technology, then you can't really get at the thing we really need to talk about. And so what I want to do is illustrate this through a profound story in the scriptures that was all about technology. And when I bring it up, you're going to go, oh, yeah, totally. It's absolutely about technology. I realize that the Bible's full of technology. And it is the story of the Tower of Babel. So if you have your Bible, uh, would you please turn to Genesis chapter 11? It's going to be on the screen also. But in Genesis chapter 11, we have this amazing story about technology. And it goes like this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And the people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower for the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, and the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Now, uh, when you initially think of that passage and when you glance at it, maybe the first thought that doesn't come to your mind is technology, but this was the advent of the brick. I was waiting for like an ooh and ah in that moment, like ooh, the brick, right? But while that's probably not very impressive to you at the time, this was, would have com- completely altered the way people lived and gathered in groups. It altered the landscape, it changed cities, it had profound impact. And this morning, I want us to think about it in three ways. I want us to think about the moment of the technology, the motivation behind it, and then the misuse of it. So I'm going old screw preacher with three M's, okay? So, number one. The moment of technological advance. So the moment that we're looking at right here in Genesis 11 is really one of the hinge points of uh, the overall narrative. So you have this really interesting section in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 that details or outlines uh, the beginning of humanity. It outlines kind of the creation. It outlines the fall and then the ways in which people moved and settled as groups of people early on. In our story. Um, But what's interesting about this particular section of Scripture is that it is filled with all kinds of things the editor was wanting to um, kind of use to help us understand things differently. So it's filled with poetry. It's filled with story. It's not in chronological order. So some of the things are misplaced, at least in our mind, uh, because it's not flowing in a timeline that's rearranged. And all of it is to draw attention to certain elements within Text, And so this particular story comes at a really significant point. If you follow with me for a moment, it'll be on the screen, but uh, you have at the very beginning, you have this beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry in Genesis 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. Then in the rest of chapter 2, you have this, uh, the editor's commentary, so to speak, on that poetry uh, that was written. And you're outlining the story of the creation of everything. And then in chapter 3, we get into the story where we learn about the fall of man and how he gave in and chose to try to be like God. And then in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 even, you have this story of the deep wickedness of man. So the result of that fall is for us to see murder and for us to see wickedness and this growing Um, place of uh, really disruption of God's ideal. And then we enter into the scene where we have Noah in the flood. And then coming out of that flood where the earth is kind of wiped clean in many ways, you have Noah and then you have God making a covenant with Noah. And then, and this is why this is important, and then the first action that you see, as we had a space of time between eight people, Noah and his family, and then now this story in chapter 11 with thousands of people gathered. We have this little blip in time, and then now the first thing you see described by the author is this moment right here, this moment of technology. And it's really interesting. It's the first recorded actions of a people following the flood. And what we get to see is that central to this moment is a piece of technology, and its impact on us. And so the second thing I want to talk about is the motivation. That was the moment. Now, we have this technological advancement of the brick, and what it allowed people to do is to create a ziggurat. For those of you not familiar, this is a kind of depiction of what that might look like. Ziggurats were stepped, large structures, typically built next to temples. And the idea behind creating this, this... um, is a picture of that. The idea behind creating a um, ziggurat would be not so that we as humans could go up. That was not the intention. The intention of a ziggurat was so that God would come down, right? That was the whole purpose. You would build it at a temple or around a temple or within the temple so that it would be a place where the gods where God would descend and be among the people. Now, this is a place where God would visit earth. Now, that might sound familiar to you. And the reason it should sound of the story at the very beginning, that there was a God who was among people and walked intimately with them. And so what Many biblical scholars understand this passage to be communicating is that the people were intent on bringing back that sacred space. They wanted a return to the garden. They wanted to figure out how they could reestablish what they had before everything went to wickedness and murder and destruction. And so they basically said, if we build this, then God will come down and this sacred space will be reestablished They had heard about the garden. They had heard about walking among all that was created with this God and humanity being in perfect relationship, and they longed for that to come again. They longed to be co-creators with God. And so the difference being that their intention behind it was manipulative. So they didn't want God to be... Just God and them to be in that space. They wanted to be able to control where God came, when God came, and who was in control of God. The motivation and the intention was self-centered. And technology was right at the very center of if we use this, we can somehow begin to control life. We can control God. We can control ourselves. That was the motivation, which takes us to the misuse. Now, here's what's interesting about the text. It's being really kind of uh, tricky with us in trying to communicate some things uh, subtly that uh, hopefully as readers we pick up on. The text again goes like this. I think it's important to look at it again. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with a top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. Now, I want to highlight two key phrases that I think are really significant for us to understand, kind of their misuse of this technology. The first one being this, the phrase, let us, let us. Now, as soon as the reader, as soon as you or I hear that, and you hear it repeated, let us make bricks, let us Build ourselves a city. Let us make a name for ourselves. We should feel at the core of us, a bit of a jolt. Why should we feel that jolt? Because it would remind us of another statement, maybe something along like the lines of this: "Let us make man in our image." It's the same language being used, right? So you hear, at the very beginning, "Let us, God speaking. Let us make man in our image. And then you see the first time where earth is reestablished in a unique way that man is saying, well, let us build bricks. Let us build a city. Let us make a name for ourselves. This is a moment of instead of God making us in his image, it's a moment where man is seeking to make God in ours. Let us Make a name for ourselves. Let us make a city for ourselves. And there is this misuse of technology in the way where we begin to attempt to be the one in control. Where we begin to be the one that seeks to be the shot caller. The one that gets to declare what will happen when it happens and why it happens Because, see, the purpose of the ziggurat was for God to come down, but the purpose was for us to be able to control that. And so often when we use technology, we begin to recognize that it's us who are seeking control. It is us who are seeking to manipulate. It is us that are seeking to rule. But the interesting thing is the second little phrase, and it is that God came down. The text says this, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Now, this is the part where God does what we wouldn't expect in this moment. It seems that God is always pretty good at doing what we don't expect. And in this particular moment, the reason it feels, at least to me, why God is doing something I wouldn't expect is that he actually honors the people's request. Why did they build the ziggurat? So that he would come down. So what does he do? He goes, okay, I'll come down right? He comes down. He honors the request, which is just fascinating to me. I want to give you a couple things to stew on as I close. The first one is this. Anything we build, no matter how big or how technologically advanced, it still requires God to come down. What I mean by that, it's small. Whatever we think our greatest accomplishment is, to him, he's like, Okay, well, I mean, I can come down to that if you'd like. That's fine. Is that, is that what you have? Is that what you're going to offer? Okay, that's fine. Everything we do, our greatest achievements, greatest accomplishments, the fact that in your pocket sits a phone that is a thousand times faster than the, or I think it's a million times faster, some crazy stat like that, than your, the first personal computer is insane. The fact that there was more technology in your pocket than we used to go to the moon. Is that Our greatest accomplishments, and they are but nothing. Because they always require him still to come down. Which leads us to our second one. God has this interesting pattern of accommodating us. So we ask for him to come down, and he does. Not because he needs to, not because he has to, but simply because he wants to. He's willing to accommodate. It's interesting to me how many times he accommodates us throughout the scriptures. We believe the wrong things about him, and yet he's like, yeah, that's fine. We call him by the wrong names, and he's, yeah, that's okay. We attribute what he does to other people, and he's like, that's fine. We speak about him in ways that we shouldn't. The disciples come to Jesus, they're talking about you, in ways. Eh, that's fine. Not a problem. I'll accommodate it. He's constantly doing that. Our misunderstandings, our inability to recognize him, we are always in the midst of being accommodated for. But here's the thing. It's always within his control. Always. And so he moves into this space. And he, he, even if you look at a New Testament illustration, he accommodates and allows us to crucify him. And in that crucifixion, in that powerlessness, in that ability to to let us dictate, he becomes victorious. It's in the very ways that he operates with us that show the magnitude of who he is. And every time that we step into these spaces, what you see in this picture is God comes down and he disrupts. He alters the story. He changes the circumstances. Now I want to encourage you as you think about the times in which we use technology, our advancements, all the attempts to control, that all of it, God is in the midst of allowing that technology to, in some ways, disrupt. And a little bit later, Kevin's going to come and talk about how those things disrupt and what they do to us. Let me pause and pray and ask that uh, we'll continue to learn this morning about this subject. Father, we... I want to honor you uh, this morning and with our lives. We recognize that technology um, plays a significant role in that. I pray that you would guide Kevin as he continues to lead us into this in a few moments. We ask it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. So. Russ, uh, when he came up here, Russ kind of spoke about technology uh, in the bigger picture, right? Wanted to look at the elephant behind the elephant. Uh, But one of the things that we set out to do when we said uh, we're going to do this elephant series was try to be um, practical in a lot of ways, was try to be uh, or offer some ways that these things actually then apply into our lives. So uh, my portion of the message is going to be more um, kind of applicational by nature. So um, because of that, I'm going to be a little less tied to the text. Uh, And um, I'm actually just going to look at some of the ways that the misuse of technology, I believe, is affecting us. And uh, there are not going to be verse proofs that I'm using, but if you want to uh, go back through the Scripture in small group or on your own and say, "Uh, Kevin kind of detailed some of these things out. Where do I see some of this stuff in Scripture? You're more than welcome to. I would advise you to do that as it's uh, obviously always good to go back into the Scripture. The first thing that I do want to say about technology is this, in no way are we trying to demonize technology, right? Technology is um, actually pretty incredible, and it's not the problem in of itself. Technology is awesome. I mean, some of the ways that it has affected our lives is incredible. Think about this, how many people have ever used spell check before? Can you imagine owning a paper dictionary and using a paper dictionary to look up words anymore? Does anybody even do that? Spell check is like incredible. Here's some other things. Um, When we think... About technology, when we have conversations about technology and the way that technology is advancing, oftentimes the things that I hear or the statement I hear is this, I just wish I could go back to the simpler times. How many people have heard that before? How many people have actually said that, maybe? I just want to go back to the simpler time. I want to just go back to a hundred years ago when it was more simple. But if that's really the case, then you wouldn't certainly be not the person that's complaining during the summer when it's 180 degrees in here because we don't have air conditioning, right? (laughs) You see, I don't think anybody actually wants to go back to a simpler time. Nobody actually believes that it was better back then because in that simpler time, there was no texting and there was no emojis, and those things have changed my life for the better, and I believe that to be true. You had one phone and it was in your kitchen, and you knew that you were super wealthy if you had the really, really long phone cord that allowed you to walk around the kitchen with the phone, right? It was a time without antibiotics. It was a time where you actually had to purchase a faster rewinder to rewind your VHS, otherwise when you took it to Prime Video to return it, they would charge you a fee for 50 cents for not rewinding your video time where you had to actually buy an entire CD for the one song that you wanted to listen to. It was a time where it was impossible to warm up your car by hitting a button in your living room so that you certainly wouldn't be cold when you first got into your car, right? These things all have made our lives better to a degree. These technological advances are incredible. I think it's easy to sentimentally reflect on history and long to be back to a time when life seemed simpler but i would actually argue that life now is simpler due to our technological advances and what people really mean is that they want to go back to a time when life seemed less complex complexity has nothing to do with technology in of itself you see we feel acutely life's increasing complexity because of the ways that we use technology. And that's a difference. There's a subtle difference in there. Life wasn't more simple before the brick technology that we read about in Genesis 11. The new bricks actually allowed for better structures, easier construction, less waste. And these things simplified life. However, The people misused the bricks, and therefore their outcome was a life with much more complexity. For all the good that technology has brought into our lives, we need to be honest. Like the story of the Tower of Babel, we need to recognize that we have used technology to try to control God, that we have used technology to try to create for ourselves a name and so like we've said before about other stories in the scripture, the story of the Tower of Babel is really just another—manifests itself in a number of ways, and here are some of the practical ways uh, that I wanted to address this morning. <clears throat> and this talk specifically, or my portion of this talk, is not intended just to look at our phones. Technology has pervaded our life in all aspects. However— Phones are one of the most poignant and easily recognizable uh, technological advances, and one that we are incredibly used to using, so much so that I'm not even sure how much we use our phones, and we'll get into that in a minute. So here is the first thing uh, that I believe technology can do, and this is a, a list of several that I've come up with. There are any number of others, but here's the first thing. Technology can isolate one of the specific drives in uh, our advancement of technology, uh, technology is the individualized efficiency experience. That technology has a way of isolating us from each other by giving us the ability to create our own insulated and efficient world. I recently heard uh, kind of a story about somebody who gave a, a similar talk about technology and the ways that uh, we as Christians are interacting, and their conclusion that was air, it was air conditioning that was the beginning of the end, because air conditioning was the first movement of isolation with technology. People put air conditioning in their homes, and they left their front porches, they left their backyards, and they started going inside. And then the family unit would be inside in the comfortable space and no longer out in the neighborhood. So air conditioning was that first movement towards isolation, where people moved away from others into a more comfortable environment by themselves or just with their own family. Our life has become much more individualized, personal computers, noise counseling headphones, grocery stores that automatically scan as you uh, scan your purchases as you walk out, completely automated phone systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could conceivably go through your entire day without having a human interaction with another real person. We have leveraged technology towards such efficiency that I believe we are losing our ability to understand what it actually means to be communal. And operate in the world as such. Second thing it does is it creates artificial relationship. Related to this idea of isolation is that much of the technology we consume creates a facade of relationships with others. The globalization of our world has allowed us to see and be with people and family and friends like never before But I think it's absolutely ludicrous to think that our use of social media platforms is not affecting our ability to be in relationship with other human beings. I think it's ridiculous to believe that our use of social media has not in some way stunted our ability to be intimate with other people, to be vulnerable with other people, to truly know how to listen and to understand other people in human interaction. People and relationships are easily reduced now to just sound bites. They're reduced to the most polished pictures of our family that we're willing to post. Social media allows us to create our own fake human experience and then share it with the world willingly. And as consumers, not only are we drawn into this fake lives of others, but many of us are guilty of doing the same thing, creating our own less than true, less than honest lives and posting it everywhere for the world to see. And there will be recourse for this stuff. I think it's easy to think of Einstein's famous quote when you see an entire population of lonely people drowning in their own friend requests when he says this, I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots That's a pretty telling quote. I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction, the world will have a generation of idiots. Looking at a person's life through the pictures they post is not a relationship, it's artificial. Sending a rote happy birthday message once automatically prompted to do so is not true relationship. Posting a long and somewhat vulnerable message under your Instagram picture is not real human interaction. It's not real relationship. Number three, it awakens comparison. Again, all of these things are related. The personal access to technology that's at our fingertips at all time is creating a shifting balance always between self-consciousness and self-aggrandizing nature. As human beings, it's impossible to follow someone else's posts about their meals and then not compare. Either you find yourself desperately wishing that you could be eating this at IHOP. You're somewhere in the middle. Because technology awakens comparison. Our ability to rationally live into our own identity and understand the uniqueness that God has gifted each of us with is constantly under assault due to an excessive exposure into other people's lives. As much as what we have is artificial in these relationships, we are more exposed to more people now than we ever have been, and it awakens comparison in incredibly unhealthy ways. I believe we are losing ourselves in other people's lives. Not only due to social media, but also the inundation of corporate marketing. We spend a fraction of our time reading and learning about who we truly are compared to the amount of time we're exposed to corporations telling us who we should be or wishing that we had other people's lives. And that's a scary place to be in. Number four, it inebriates. <clears throat> when physically inebriated, we tend to lose the ability to operate with good judgment. I believe the same is true with technological inebriation. Think about the dumb stuff that we do because of technology. Has anybody here ever texted and drived at the same time? The two of us. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Honesty. They recently passed a law where you can't do that, and I know all of us are following that. We would never text and drive because when you just take a step back and you think about driving a 2,000-pound box of steel while looking at your phone and communicating a different message, that is absolutely crazy that we would do that. But technology has given us the ability to do it, and sometimes technology inebriates enough to where we do really Really stupid stuff. Just because we have technology doesn't mean it's good for us to use. All right? Just because I can clone something doesn't mean it's good for me to clone things, right? God has given us the ability to use discernment, to have judgment to recognize that we need to wrestle with some of these things that are given to us and not all things that are out there are good to use. I would encourage you to think through that as you engage with technology, different forms of it, and actually ask the question, does this allow me to live a life that is holy and honoring and right before the Lord? Here's the, uh, the... fifth one, and uh, the last one, and I'm actually going to have you do a a little teaching moment here. Uh, If you have a cell phone, a smartphone, take that out. If you have a flip phone, I'm sorry. (laughs) Love you all the same, but uh, I only know how to do this on an iPhone because it's what I have, but uh, we're going to, I don't even have my phone up here. That was the whole deal. Um, Okay. I got a picture, though. So if you go to your iPhone, you go to your settings, and then uh, down a little bit, there's a battery uh, setting. Press on battery, and this screen should come up. Igor, can you hit this first picture here? Something along these lines. This will actually tell you how much time you were spending over the last 24 hours on your phone and the last seven days on your phone, all right? This is, uh, go to that, go back one. So in the last 24 hours, the percentage to the side is not the percent of time, that's actually the percent of battery use that you used or that that app uses. So take a deep breath, like, oh, thank God. But then if you hit that little blue button all the way to the right, go to the next one, Igor, then it gives you the amount of hours that you're spending on each app. So, I did this this morning at like 7:15. This is the way that I spent uh, the time on my phone over the course of the last seven days. All right? I am a person that uh, consistently talks about the use of Instagram as being ridiculous, and yet I spent one hour and 40 minutes, or 1.4 hours. I don't no, nobody can do that math. Uh, <clears throat> 1.4 hours on the app Instagram over the last seven days. That is an incredible amount of time when you really think about it. And here's the little thing that uh, only pastors know. I knew I was using this illustration, so I even moderated my use more (laughs) because I would have to show it, right? I also used the Hey Siri thing two minutes over the course of the last seven days. If you don't use the Hey Siri uh, feature on your phone... Use it. It is awesome. (laughs) Here's number five. Technology can distract. This is a visual representation. That one wasn't, but that last picture is a visual representation of the amount of distraction that is happening in my life. Now, certainly some of that stood right, but a lot of that is just absolute garbage. Total unadulterated distraction. What are you spending your time on? What's the first thing you do when you have a spare minute when you are alone? How many times do you look at your phone during the day or allow Netflix just to play that next episode? Do you actually know how much time you are spending on your phone? There was a recent video which I watched uh, off YouTube, off of a computer. Again, using technology. During uh, a work day that I was supposed to be working, I watched this video. That talked about how uh, iPhones are actually made and created to be addicting. And uh, I'm going to roll through this last stuff pretty quickly here because we're running out of time. But here are a couple of things that uh, one of the designers of um, apps actually said. The pull to refresh idea on your phone scrolling down actually mimics the pulling of a lever on a slot machine. Because it's been shown to be more effective to be addicting, that motion. Many apps are intentionally bright, red and orange. If you go back and look through your apps, a lot of them are uh, red and orange because it's been proven that your eyes are more drawn to those warmer colors. Push notifications create more opportunities for us to feel important and feel valued throughout the day, which then keeps us more tightly tethered to our phones. The infinite scrolling idea, meaning that Facebook always has new content. You can scroll forever, and it will always be putting up new content. Infinite uh, scrolling or continuous uh, loading of new information makes it hard for us to stop. Humans have been tested a number and number of times that we generally use visual cues or have to be given visual cues to limit our consumption of things. This is why buffets make us so sick. There are no visual cues. There's always more food, and so you just keep going up and consuming forever. We have a very limited amount of attention to give. So where is your time spent? Check the battery thing on your cell phone. If you have a different phone, figure out how to check out how are you spending your time, and maybe look into that every couple of days and ask yourself, am I spending the time The ways that I should. So, I've had a couple of conversations with people about this, and here's the next question that everybody wants to ask. Well, it's not a big deal if I look at Facebook a little bit, right, over the course of the day. Yeah, you're right. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal if you use technology. It's not a big deal if you watch a show off Netflix. It's not a big deal if you play video games But the elephant is not about our moderate use of technology. This elephant is about the grotesque overuse and misuse of technology and the ways that we're using it to control God, the ways that we're using it to create a name for ourselves. And I know very, very few people who actually do this well. I know a lot more people who have duped themselves into thinking that they manage all of this stuff fine, And then look at the way that they've spent their time and realize that they spent 16 hours on Facebook over seven days. The second thing, Kevin, these are all symptoms of the issue. Yes, you are absolutely right. I might be distracted or compare myself to others via technology, but shouldn't I be addressing the bigger, deeper issues in my life? Because we never just talk about symptoms, we always want to get to the core. Yes, you are absolutely right. But when you have a cold, do you do something to alleviate the symptoms? Right? I recently had a conversation with a dad about his son. Since leaving the hospital, he could tell that, uh, that this, his new child was going to be maybe busier than his other siblings. Just from the, the very moment that that child was born, it was like go time, right? And this became very apparent uh, kind of in the toddler years where they had to be uh, much more hands-on with this child, and it became even more apparent as they were in school, and the child was beginning to have some troubles with behavior because uh, there was just one speed that this kid knew, and that speed was uh, 110%. And so they began to meet with doctors <coughs> to uh, ask, what, what, how can we parent better? What can we do? And the doctor decided that maybe a low-dose stimulant might be helpful because this child exhibits pretty classic ADHD tendency. And the dad, not knowing a lot about this, kind of in that moment, asked the question to the doctor, does medication ever really just become a crutch? I mean, I don't want to just give my child medication and never allow them to create their own coping mechanisms, create their own self-control so that they can manage this beyond there. And I thought what the doctor said was uh, pretty telling. The doctor said this, the medicine helps to create a scenario where the patient, the child in this situation can actually feel and experience what it's like to be still. For the first time, the child can maybe experience what it's like to focus on one task at a time. Maybe the child can experience what it's like to slow down and feel what that feels like. Because if the patient can never feel these things, they'll never to technology. That if we can begin to attempt to attend to some of our symptoms, that we can actually believe that we can feel what it's like to break free from this stuff. And it might give us space to identify the deeper issues in our life. Richard Rohr says this, we do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. Let me give you a few really, really practical things as you take uh, your time from here today. In the next week, resist the urge to pull out your phones when you have to wait. For three to five minutes for an elevator or at a stoplight or an appointment. Resist the urge to multitask and instead of pulling out your phone during a conversation, put your phone in a pocket. Don't put it on the table next to you and just be present with the person that you're with. When you're watching Netflix, commit to turning Netflix off when that little thought sign comes up and says, Are you still watching? that might be a good time to say, man, I need to stop. (laughs) Next time you're on a plane, instead of right away sitting down and putting on your headphones and isolating yourself, be committed to being available to speak with the person that sits next to you. What if on Facebook you only allowed yourself to read the posts from people that you actually know and have interaction with on a daily or weekly basis? Cancel the notifications on your apps so that you don't get those little hits of dopamine every time a new push notification comes up and you start to feel important and valued again so that you don't have to be so tethered to your phone. The elephant of technology is one that needs to be addressed by new ways of living, by new disciplines, by a renewed focus on that which we say are the priorities in our life. And our encouragement to you is this, this morning. God has given you a name. He has given us a name. He has called us beloved, sons and daughters. We know who we are because of the scriptures, because of who God has told us who we are. And there is no technology that will help further answer that question for us. Use and enjoy technology as much as it allows you to conduct your life in a worthy manner of the gospel. But recognize not everything we have access to is of benefit to our souls. Recognize that human beings are notoriously are notorious for aimlessly accepting that which is put right in front of them. And confess if you have used technology to try to control God, to try to create a name for yourself, and take courage that these things can be undone if you're willing to live your way into a new way of thinking. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to close us in prayer this morning. And I want to do something. I know we're a little bit over, but I I just want everybody, close your eyes. Take three big deep breaths. Try to quiet your soul if you can. God, we thank you that you have put incredibly smart people in this world that have used their gifts, and their talents to create incredible things. We thank you that each day we live with remarkable technological advances that make our lives better in a lot of ways, that make our lives easier and more simpler and more efficient, and those things are awesome, and we're thankful. But God, may we never place our trust in those things. May our identity not be found in those things. May we not look for our value in those things. May we be a people, Lord, that looks towards you, that realizes you have given us a name, a people who trusts in that, a people who does not look to the things that are right at our fingertips every day, but looks towards you eyes toward the heavens trusting and knowing that you are God in our lives. Lord, may we take steps from here today that actually alleviates some of the symptoms that many of us feel. May we be willing to be disciplined. May we be willing to make changes where changes need to be made. Convict our hearts, Holy Spirit, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for a chance to be challenged, and a chance to wrestle with this stuff. We love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Following the service, if you are looking for prayer, we will have some people available for that.